0: They are 11 warriors yes. they are the 11 warriors the most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around
1: welcome into real pod wednesdays i'm dan hope joined by griffin Strom. let's just get the elephant in room out of the way the men's basketball team is bad right now ohio state one and nine in its last ten games. Think, things are things are not going well for for Ohio State basketball right now. You know, I think I think there's a lot of times we can come on here on the podcast and kind of talk people off the ledge and and kind of give reasons for why things maybe aren't as bad as people think they are. But I, I don't know. If we can do that right now. I, I think right now, you know, th- this team is is just. It, it feels pretty broken right now and this year is feeling more and more like a lost cause because i think that for this team to make the ncaa tournament at this point it almost certainly would have to win the big 10 tournament which would likely mean winning what would it be four games five games in a row because they're probably going to be playing a, a first round game on the first day of the tournament
0: yeah, Dan, it's been a, a rough go for, for Ohio State, to say the least. And the other day when I was writing about, you know, the, the bad January stretch, and I was like, the good news is Ohio State doesn't have to play any more games in January. But the bad news is that doesn't actually mean they'll play any better at the start of February. And, and thus far, that has been the case to start February here. And you mentioned the 1-9 and nine stretch. Dan, I looked it up the other day, and that uh, that 1-9 and nine record through 10 games, at a ten, in terms of a 10-game stretch, it is the worst 10-game stretch since, I believe, the 1997-98 season when Ohio State lost like 17 games in a row or something like that. So if that kind of contextualizes some things here. And, you know, it's like every game you're like, um, is this the one where Ohio State can, can you know, get over the hump and get it done? And every game, you know, it's kind of different issues or the same issues that haven't been fixed. And, you know, Ohio State just finds a kind of a different way to to lose Every time it's now a four-game losing streak for Ohio State. You know, that that one win over Iowa in between, then obviously the, the five-game losing streak before that. And then this week, Northwestern and, and Michigan State at home. At least Ohio State has back-to-back home games for the first time in, in quite some time for their case. But you know, certainly no guarantee that they're going to be able to turn it around here in, in short order. But Dan, we should mention that, you know, of course, you know, such a, a vocal portion of the fan base is flooding my Twitter replies, the comments on, on 11 warriors. And I'm sure, you know, everybody else is, you know, in terms of the beat reporters that that cover this team saying fire Chris Holman. this, that, and the third, is he going to be back for another season next year? Adam Jardy from the Columbus dispatch did talk to Gene Smith um, at Ohio state's last home game, I believe before the game. And Gene Smith said that Chris Holman is our coach of the future, which certainly is a vote of confidence, you know, for Chris Holman's future beyond this season which has been what, you know, I've been saying what you've been, what I think of what a lot of people have been saying, because like I've said multiple times now, Gene Smith before the season, you know, kind of acknowledged that there was going to be struggles with this team and that they have to kind of ride it out a little bit. Now the struggles have not been, you know, the, it's been even worse. I think than than Holman or Gene Smith have would have imagined it would have been this season, but it certainly sounds like Chris Holman will, you know, this, this isn't the end of the road for Chris Holman at Ohio state.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we have to be real Un- unless there's a, unforeseen turnaround at this point in the final month plus of the season. This, this is certainly tracking toward being Chris Holtman's worst season at Ohio state. I mean, he's won 20 games every year. He's been at Ohio state. He's made the NCAA tournament every year. He's been at Ohio state. Both of those marks are in serious jeopardy right now. And so, you know, it's, we have to be real. Like what we're seeing right now, the product from Ohio state basketball right now is not good enough for what the standard should be for Ohio state the current product is not good enough, but you know, we agree. And I think obviously Gene Smith's comments only strengthen that opinion that we don't think he's going to get fired be- because of that. Now, if this happens again next year, is it time for Ohio state to make a change? I would say absolutely. And, and I, and I, like we talked about last week, I I, I think there's very, real and understandable frustration from ohio state fans because i think we've had the next year conversation so many times with this ohio state basketball program with chris holtman and so i i you know i mean even i even saw some of the responses like to some of the comments that you tweeted out from chris holtman at press conferences his last couple times out where he's made comments referring to next year and people are going to like why does he keep talking about next year which like i i think that's a very reasonable frustration like this season is still going on and we're talking about how this is going to benefit the team next year and so uh, i i think that's a very real frustration but i i do think that you can point to okay he's got a one of the youngest rosters in the big 10 this year he's got another good recruiting class coming in next year there is Real tangible reasons to look at that and feel that the team is going to be better next year. And so I I do think for those reasons that he is going to get another year to right the ship, even though things have clearly gone off course this year. But, you know, that would certainly be. It certainly becomes easier to justify that. It certainly becomes easier to stomach that if at the very least this team can show more signs of life over the next month, because the, the, the last month, I mean, it has been, has been ugly. And like you said, I mean, I, you look at this week's games, you've got two home games in a row, and I want to sit here and say, these should be winnable games for Ohio state, but we said the same thing last week. And so now I'm kind of at a point of like, all right, we, we, it's hard to pick this team to win any game right now because they've literally won once in their last 10 times out. And so at this point we just kind of have to see it. And it, you know, it's, it's not even worth even talking about NCAA tournament scenarios and stuff anymore because they, they've played themselves really completely out of that conversation over their last 10 games. But at the very least you want to see this team, gain some momentum here over the last month of a season to where you at least have something you can feel good about going into what certainly is going to be a pivotal year in my mind should be a make or break year for Chris Holtman next year assuming Ohio State doesn't find a way to make the tournament this year.
0: Yeah, I mean the the best thing for Chris Holman and Ohio State to do would be to to go on some type of mini run here, and maybe maybe that doesn't come until you know the Big Ten tournament, and they can have some type of respectable showing, you know, at, at that point. But you know, we just keep waiting for that to happen, and it just isn't happening right now, but certainly, you know, a couple of other things in the past few days. Chris Holman does seem to be so trying some different things to kind of, you know, generate some type of boost for this Buckeye team. Bryce Sensabaugh getting taken out of the starting lineup. And these things have been, you know, polarizing among the fan base from, from what I understand. Bryce Sensabaugh, you know, getting uh, removed from the starting lineup for the Michigan game. People kind of wondering, you know, why you would take, you know, the, the best player on the on the team out of the starting five. But there's a, a method of the madness to, to some degree behind that. Also, the the captain's revote, which was certainly a polarizing topic, that Chris Holman discussed on Monday at our press conference with him. He said he did say that they they do that like every year at some point, but not usually this late in the season, I guess. In terms of having the, the actual team vote on who they believe the captains are, at the stage in the season, and it, it generated some some you know interest online because we heard that Bruce Thornton, the, the freshman point guard, was promoted to captain status. But then when Chris Holman was was asked well, did anyone lose captain status, the the three captains coming into the season being Justice Suing, Zed Key, and Isaac Likely, he kind of laughed and said, oh, I wouldn't share that publicly if, if that did happen. But it sounds like after the fact, he he might have told Adam Jardy from the dispatch again that um, nobody was actually demoted. But just kind of some interesting wording there on, on on that front for Chris Holtman. So they're, they're certainly trying to head in the right direction, but you know whether they actually start doing so remains to be seen, Dan. Let's talk about
1: football. We can, there's only so much we can say about basketball right now, the way things have been going there the last few weeks, but we have a lot of football stuff to talk about today because last week on national signing day, Ohio State didn't sign anybody on national signing day as a result of signing 20 players in December, but Ohio State did make its entire coaching staff available. Ryan Day, all 10 assistant coaches, as well as James Laurinaitis and Mark Piantone all spent time talking to the media on Wednesday for the first or last Wednesday, I should say, for the first time this offseason. That was, of course, after we recorded last week's show. So we didn't talk about it then, but we are going to talk about it now because uh, I thought it was a very interesting, informative day. You know, hearing what those coaches had to say, hearing, you know, some things we probably expected to hear and some things uh maybe we we didn't expect it to hear. We'll we'll start by talking about quarterbacks because that's obviously going to be a, a topic that dominates the conversation this entire offseason. And I wouldn't say they necessarily said anything surprising there. They did say that I, I believe it was Corey Dennis that said it will be quote a blank slate. And Ryan Day said they do hope to name a starter by the end of spring. So if the question is Griffin, like uh, both those points like, do we believe them? Do we think it really is a blank slate? And do we think they actually will name a starter at the end of spring practice?
0: I definitely don't think it's a complete blank slate. I mean, how do you not take into consideration, you know, the things you've already seen from those guys, especially a guy like Kyle McCord, who's been in the system for an extra year. But of course, you know, I don't think you know, neither of the coaches are going to come out and say, Oh no, you know Kyle McCord is going to start with a clear advantage and get most of the. I mean, you certainly could do that if you were the coaches, but I think it would be maybe a disservice to to both of those guys to do so. It certainly sounds like both of them are going to get, you know, a ton of reps. I think the making it a, a point to name a starter by the end of spring or at least strive to do that is interesting because Dan, I don't believe we ever heard that necessarily. You know, in the post Justin Fields quarterback battle i don't recall them saying specifically like we want to name a guy by the end of spring and obviously i've written a couple times now that um you know stroud wasn't named the starter until i think 12 days before the season opener in 2021 so that certainly played out differently than it sounds like they would like it to this year and i also asked Corey dennis like i mean like what's the difference there between that year when the the battle went out you know went on for longer even though i think you know, for, for most of that battle, we, we all kind of assumed it would be Stroud. So what was kind of the difference there between that competition and this one? And he kind of said, well, there's no real difference. You always want a guy to emerge earlier. So you have kind of your top guy in place there at quarterback. But things just worked out, you know, differently. And of course, there's there's still, you know, the option on the table that it's, it's not going to be resolved by the spring and could end up drawing on for much longer than that.
1: Yeah, and I think there's also very possible that Ohio State could exit the spring with a good idea of who its starter is going to be, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come out and tell the public, tell the media who their starting quarterback is going to be. So we'll see how it all plays out. I mean, I think one factor that they're not going to talk about, but, you know, I do think is real in this, is that I I think in fairness to Kyle McCord specifically, if if you're going to be fair to him, you almost – have to kind of be able to give him an idea of where this thing is headed one way or the other after the spring, because this is a guy who's now entering his junior year. He didn't take a redshirt at Ohio state. He only has two more years of eligibility. And so, you know, you're looking at a guy that if Devin Brown was to beat him out this spring, then I think, you know, if if you're going to be fair to Kyle McCord, you, you'd probably want to tell him that, Hey, Devin's ahead of you at this point, so that he can weigh his options because he, he he's now, you know, entering the back half of his college career. I think, you know, if if Kyle, if Kyle emerges as as the starter, then I don't know if there's as much urgency to do that because Devin's a redshirt freshman who still has four years of eligibility. And obviously, either way it goes, Ohio State is gonna want to have both those guys on the roster this year. And you know, I mean, they could they could choose to go the other way of it and choose to try to not make a decision in the spring and try to let the thing play out into preseason camp, and so that both those guys have a reason to stay. But you know, it's such a delicate balance at the quarterback position these days. You know, we saw it with with Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow in that competition where they were honest with Joe and they 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 they, they told him after the spring that you know Dwayne was probably going to be the guy, and that allowed Joe to you know, enter the transfer portal and go to LSU and the rest is history. So, you know, they, it, it's kind of a delicate balance there for the coaches in terms of how you handle it. But I do think that's certainly one factor, one way or the other, depending on who is the leader at the end of spring and depending on how you actually think it should be handled. That's one factor It could be in their minds in terms of a timeline of when they're going to name a starter. But, you know... E- You know, to to your you know larger point, you know, I I do think it benefits the team if one of those guys shows this spring that hey, I'm 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 the guy, I'm ready to be the guy. You you'd love for both those guys to do that, and if they do that, then maybe it does extend into the summer. But you know, I think you you certainly want to come out of a spring feeling good about at least one of those guys. As your your starting quarterback, you know, like I've said before, I, I do think this is going to be a a real competition. Like like you said, I I don't know that it's necessarily a a quote blank slate because Kyle McCord has played; he's even started a game where Devin Brown has not thrown a pass from a Buckeyes. But yeah, as we've talked about before, I think Devin Brown with his talent, I, I think. He's certainly a, a real factor in his competition. He, he's certainly going to get a real shot, and because of the things that I just talked about, where you know quarterback transfers have become commonplace, and you can't necessarily count on a guy to sit and wait his turn, I, I think that only increases the pressure here of of making sure you pick the right guy. While I think you know there could be some logic in the idea of if it's close go of Kyle because he's more experienced and Devin would probably be more likely to wait his turn. I I also think like you can't, you can't, you can't count on that in today's climate. And so I, I do think that puts the pressure on to make sure you identify who's the best guy. Not, I mean, obviously you're, 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 Initial criteria is who's the best guy for right now for this year, but you also got to think long term too and think who's our best guy for the next two years because you just don't know what's going to happen after you ultimately decide a starter.
0: Yeah. And Dan, you know, as of now, until we start getting into, you know, the Woody to see some some practice action in the spring game, of course, we're, you know, evaluating two guys that do not have a very large sample size, of course, in the system playing meaningful reps and things of that nature. But certainly the narratives around the two guys, Dan, is that, you know, Kyle McCord, maybe he's a better pure passer as of right now, but but Devin and also, you know, obviously has the experience and things like that. But Devin Brown, of course, has that X factor of the the mobility and the ability to use his legs and things like that. And that's why I thought it was interesting that Ryan Day said during his press conference that, you know, guys that can move around and create with their legs are, you know, have become really successful. He You know, citing what CJ was able to do in the Peach Bowl and things like that. And while, you know, I don't think that's tipping his hand or anything like that in terms of where he's leaning. I do think it's interesting considering the narrative that Brown is the more mobile and, you know, maybe create plays outside of the pocket type of guy between the two, at least from what we understand as of right now. Yeah,
1: I think, you know, Kyle's got to show that he can do some of that, you know, as much as you can in a spring practice setting, because obviously quarterbacks are not tackled during this, but, you know, he, he's he got to show that, you know, he's got some of that in his game because I, I do think, fi- I do think, you know, that is one way that, Devin could potentially win the job is, is if if he shows that he can do more with his legs than, than Kyle can. I, I think that would be certainly a factor that, that's considered by by Ohio State's coaches in determining who the starting quarterback will be.
0: Yeah, Dan, and uh, you know, I thought it was interesting, you know, Randy eventually kind of said it's going to be the guy that, you know, the, the coaching staff believes in and the team believes in. That will lead us, you know, to a national championship and things like that. And, you know, Corey Dennis, though, said he was asked if they take kind of like the, you know, responses from the offensive line and, and teammates and things like that into consideration when evaluating these guys. And he kind of said, nah, eh, not, not really so much. So, you know, those guys obviously have a lot of time to figure all of that out. And, you know, Corey Dennis said that, you know, the, the leadership is going to be a big thing. Those intangible qualities who can run the offense efficiently and be productive are all going to be major deciding factors in that quarterback competition.
1: Now, obviously, another big topic on Wednesday was whether Ryan Day is going to give up offensive play calling this season. And he wasn't ready to commit to that yet, but it certainly feels like things are trending in that direction. He said that Heartline will call offensive plays during spring practices, where it be, you know, spring games, scrimmages, whatnot, and that they're going to try to put You know heartline in a lot of those situations where he can go head to head with jim knowles and he can call plays you know in team drills settings so that they can see you know how ready he is as a play caller and you know ryan day also you know when he was asked about you know why are you considering this now he acknowledged the fact that you know he needs to do better in terms of his time management he says you know the off season that's no problem He thinks, you know, early in the season, it's fine, but he thinks when you get into that middle, late portion of the season that, you know, it it becomes harder to balance all the responsibilities that he has as Ohio State's head coach. And I I think that was reflective last season when we think about the offense's performance and we think about his play calling specifically, where like, you know, I think early in the season, you know, maybe not in a Notre Dame game, they didn't have a great day offensively, but I think you know, after that, you know, first half of the season, I I think Ohio State's offense was more efficient. The play calling seemed better. Then you got to that later portion of the season, and it seemed like the offense got a little more disjointed. And then obviously when he had a full month to prepare for the Peach Bowl, we saw what I think was Ohio State's best offensive game plan of the year. But certainly seems to be a recognition there from Ryan Day that calling plays on a week-to-week basis while also having to balance all the other responsibilities that come with being Ohio State's head coach may not be the best thing for the program right now. And so, you know, I I think it's really a matter of, you know, he needs to make sure that Brian Hartline's ready to do the job. He needs to get fully comfortable with that because Brian Hartline's never been an offensive play caller before. I mean, there is some risk involved with handing over play calling duties to somebody who's never been an offensive coordinator before. But obviously Brian Hartline is somebody who has excelled in everything Ohio state has asked him to do thus far. He himself said he would be very confident if he was asked to call plays right now. And so, you know, if I was handicapping it right now, I think it's definitely likely that Brian Hartline will be the guy calling plays when Ohio State opens the season in September, but I don't think Ryan Day wants to lock himself into that decision until he sees what Heartline does at least this spring and is sure that Heartline is ready and can be trusted to handle that responsibility.
0: Yeah, Dan, it would, it would almost be like a, a vote of non-confidence to kind of let it be known that Hartline that is having kind of this tryout period as the offensive play caller in the spring. And then you, to come out of the spring and be like, you know what, you know, Brian Hartline's not going to actually call plays for us. But at the same time, you don't want to be halfway through the season and then have to, you know, switch responsibilities uh, you know among coaches in that manner you know kind of like we saw with the the defense a couple seasons ago and and how that went over and it that just being a a strange matter in general Dan but that'll be something we'll we'll definitely be watching all spring long Dan one thing I wanted to touch on before we get into more of the you know current stuff in, in next year's team was something that that Ryan Day said about the the Peach Bowl and the fallout from from all of that stuff which you know definitely got some people riled up online Ryan Day talking about the non-targeting call on that hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. in the end zone in the Peach ball, as everyone will recall, knocked him out of the game. Ryan Day said Marvin, Day, Marvin Harrison was was knocked unconscious on that play. And, you know, Dan, I, I revisited some of Ryan Day's comments from immediately after the game. And, and at the time he said that, you know, I, I didn't, or I thought it was targeting in the moment, but I'm, I'm going to have to go back and see, you know, it was a bang bang thing. I didn't have time to, to go back and look at it. You know, obviously Ryan Day's had a lot of time to reevaluate that and look at the play. He now feels like it, it, it was targeting. And he said he made several phone calls to try to get an answer from some of these officiating crews. And, and he went pretty high up the ladder in terms of like the, the head of NCAA officiating and, and everything like that. And he says t- he said he talked to the Big Ten officials, the Pac-12 officials who were calling that game in particular. He, he said he had a good conversation with the Big Ten head of officiating and stuff like that. But the other conversations he had, he, he basically said, I completely disagree with the notion that he heard from some of those guys that the, the the hit wasn't forcible enough to be targeting, with you know the counter evidence to that being that Harrison was in fact knocked unconscious on the play, so that is clearly still you know a bit of an open wound for Ryan Day, Ohio State, obviously Ohio State fans as well. But then you've also got a lot of people on the other side being like, man, the the Buckeyes are still crying over that, et cetera, et cetera. But you know it was a a very you know, consequential play in that game that, that, you know, could have really, if you, if you reverse that the other way, was, was, does Ohio state end up winning the national championship? So that's why, you know, it's such a big point of, of conversation.
1: Yeah. It was kind of funny when, when, when Ryan day was asked about it, he looked over at Jerry Emig, the Ohio state spokesperson. And he was kind of like, should I do this? You know, because we, we, we really haven't seen that side of Ryan day much. We haven't really seen Ryan day be, you know, I can't remember, I think there may have been a couple other times that he wasn't like happy with a targeting call. But that's like as pointedly like disagreeing with officials that I can remember Ryan Day ever being. And I think I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing for Ohio State, for Ryan Day to kind of show that side and kind of voice his opinion. Because I think, you know, maybe at times he hasn't necessarily voiced his opinion on those things as much as maybe I think he can being Ohio state's head coach, being one of the, you know, most influential voices in college football. You know, he's got a big platform that when he, you know, voices his opinions on, on things, people are going to listen. They're not always going to agree with it, but they're going to listen. And so I, 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 like seeing that side of Ryan day to kind of say, you know, screw it. I'm, I'm just going to say, What's on my mind? You know, he he could have just said, "It's over, we've moved on." But you know, for him to to say, you know, no, I I I had all these calls, and I I completely disagree with it. You know, I I I I I like that side. I mean, if you know, I think you know, unsurprisingly, Georgia fans you know will 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 mock it. But you know, I I think I think as you know as as the head coach of a team to you know kind of go out there and and express your opinions on something that like you said, had a major impact on the way the season ended. You know, I I respect that.
0: Yeah, Dan, we know that Bucknuts Steve Hellwagon is particularly fired up about that point. (laughs) But Dan, back to the, you know, the 2023 team here and all the stuff we learned about, you know, how everything's going to unfold. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about the offensive line. We've been speculating on is Matt Jones going to move to center? You know, they've messed around with Donovan Jackson playing some tackle before, uh, you know, last spring, what's going to happen there. But we hear, you know, coming out of that media availability day last week, that that Donovan Jackson and Matt Jones are actually both going to stay at guard, Dan, which means that, you know, they're, they're now going to be starting spots open at both tackle positions and center. I mean, that was kind of another interesting thing that Ryan Day said was that like, we were hoping that Luke Whippler wasn't going to declare for the NFL draft. So now they're kind of having to to pick up the pieces there at center. Obviously we've talked about Cutler coming in there at that uh, and, and, and going to be competing for that center job. But Dan, what else stood out to you about, you know, some of the offensive line stuff that we heard, because I think some of that was pretty interesting. Yeah. I, I was a little bit
1: surprised that they, you know, just that Ryan day straight up said that, you know, they are planning to keep Matt Jones at guard. I thought, I thought he might leave the door a little bit more open on that one and, and, you know, save it, you know, he'd cross train between the two positions during the spring and, you know, not that he still couldn't. I mean, if, if, if it gets to a point where Ohio state feels like, you know, it needs him at center, it could certainly still make that move. But, you know, I, I, I was of the opinion that maybe, you know, when they had those conversations of Matt Jones coming back, but maybe, you know, they, they talked to him about, you know, playing center and, you know, maybe that could be a way for him to increase his draft stock. And it seems like it was more the opposite that they, they talked to him about, you know, staying at guard and wanting him to, you know, get really, really good at guard and, you know, kind of, you know, stick at the position he's been working at and, and, and try to really be an excellent guard. So, you know, I think the good news for his Ohio state is I think Ohio state can feel really good about what it has coming back at guard. I think the bad news is you really don't know what you have right now at, at tackle and center between Ryan Day and Justin Fry, they did identify some of the candidates to, to potentially take over those jobs. It certainly sounds like Josh Fryer is going to be a starting tackle, as we expected. Neither Ryan Day or Justin Fry is saying that outright right now, but, you know, did make it clear that that's a guy they're expecting to step up this year. And so, you know, we would not specify whether he'd be the left tackle of a right tackle. But, you know, certainly does seem like they're expecting him to be a starting tackle this year. The other spots more wide open. I did think it was interesting that Ryan Day said they are going to move Tegra Shibola to tackle because he played guard last year, but they're going to be moving him to tackle, which, you know, certainly makes me think that they view him as a guy who is a potential starter right now. So, you know, between him, Zen Mahalski, George Fitzpatrick, the other names that came up. You know, it seems like those are probably going to be the three main guys competing for a starting job opposite Josh Fryer. Justin Fry did not shut down the possibility that Ohio State could still add a tackle in the transfer portal during the May window. He said, you know, even if we feel like we have two starters, we could still add a guy for depth and competition if we think he's the right guy out there. So that will be something to continue to monitor. Again, that's probably going to depend on how things go in the spring. You know, do they feel good about all those guys we just mentioned or do they go, we, you know, we don't feel great or, you know, maybe we're one injury away from disaster here. So that's something that is to be determined, but certainly the door appears to still be very much open to add a tackle during the May transfer window. And then at center, Ryan Day said that, you know, the guys they're expecting to compete there are, you know, Victor Cutler of a transfer from Louisiana Monroe but also Carson Hinsman and Jacob James and both Day and Fry spoke very highly of Carson Hinsman which I thought was interesting cuz we didn't see him play at all last year but the way they talked about him made me feel like he might be more of a factor in this center competition than maybe we realized like you know if if I were to predict the starting center right now I would go with Victor Cutler because this is a guy who has starting experience at the FBS level of it's a guy who, you know, was brought in to compete for a starting center job. And so he would be my pick right now if I, if I was picking who would be the starting center, but the way they talked about Carson Hinsman made me think don't count him out in that competition, that, that he might be a guy to watch. Jacob James is among the list of guys who are going to be unavailable this spring. And so, you know, you have to think that is going to hurt his chances. You know, he, he has played some, he's been in the system for a few years. So certainly not to say that he couldn't get back into that competition in preseason camp. But I feel like with him being unavailable due to injury, not being able to have the kind of spring he would need to really cement himself as a starting caliber center. It feels like this competition, at least initially, is probably going to come down to Cutler and Hinsman.
0: Yeah, Dan, you mentioned James being out for the spring and there's eight guys that they listed as being out for the spring. Some of them, some some very notable players for Ohio State, Travion Henderson, Emeka Abuka, Julian Fleming, Tommy Eikenberg, Evan Pryor, Mitchell Melton, Court Williams, and the aforementioned Jacob James. You know, some of those guys, obviously after a, a long season, you're banged up after the year, They're, you know, there's not much to to, to really worry about, you know, when, when you talk about guys like, you know, Eikenberg, uh, you know, guys like that. Uh, But for some of those guys, Dan, that that is a little more concerning. I think you, you talk about a guy like Court Williams, who obviously we've talked about in the past entered this past season with, you know, potentially potentially having a big role for this defense never happened. He was banged up all year. And now he's going to miss the entire spring. You know, Travion Henderson is no surprise there with him being out. Melton though, he was a guy that, you know, Dan is still being talked about by the likes of Jim Knowles as a guy that could, you know, be a factor at the Jack position, but we didn't see him for the entirety of the past year because of obviously his his knee injury in that, in the spring game, he's going to be out, you know, even further. Evan Pryor also out, you know. Julian Fleming, Julian Fleming's missed a lot of springtime, time, Dan, over the over the past few years. But you know, he, you know, he he was in a pretty good spot, I think, coming off of this past year, his his best year so far. But Dan, any other big takeaways from you in terms of the unavailable list for Ohio State this spring?
1: Yeah, I mean, Melton's a guy who I think is notable because you know Jim Knowles did save it. You know, he thinks Melton's a guy to watch for at that Jack position this year. And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Jack Jack position in a couple minutes here, but, you know, I think certainly he's a guy that they would like to have out there to, you know, compete for, you know, playing time at, at that Jack position this spring. You know, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, the receivers and the linebackers more reps sort the of backups there might actually be a good thing. You know, Jim Knowles indicated that, you know, steel chambers probably won't, get a ton of reps this spring as well, even though he is available because those guys played so much last year. And so I think, you know, that, that could almost in, in some ways be a benefit because, you know, guys like CJ Hicks or Cody Simon, Reed Carrico, Gabe powers, you know, you know, those guys didn't play much last year. So I think, you know, those guys could benefit from getting more reps in the spring. And I think, you know, same thing at receiver because, you know, we know they've got, you know, a great starting trio of receivers, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka, Buka, Julian Fleming. I mean, I think you'd like to see Fleming out there because obviously injuries have been a recurring problem for Fleming. But I mean, Brian Hartline's been tweeting about Julian Fleming being a first round pick next year. So it it certainly seems like Brian Hartline has plenty of confidence in Julian Fleming, even with him being unavailable this spring. But, you know, I think with those guys being out, you know, that's going to open up the door for a lot more opportunities for some of those backup receivers. And we've talked, you know, before about the log jam of that position. And, you know, so many guys, you know, whether it's Jaden Boward or whether it's those four second year receivers or whether it's the free early enrollee receivers, you know, there, you got a lot of talented guys competing for what probably aren't going to be a lot of snaps. And so I think, you know, For both those receivers and linebackers, I think this spring is going to be a big opportunity when there might be more reps available. Like This is their time, you know. whether you're a Jaden Bauer or a C.J. Hicks. If you're going to get on the field this year, you've got to make your mark in the spring. You've got to establish yourself in the spring because when those guys come back in the fall, there might not be as many first-team reps available unless you can prove yourself in the spring to the point where Ohio State's got to make reps for you in the fall.
0: We also got to talk to new Ohio State graduate assistant, James Laurinaitis, who obviously a lot of fans are excited about him being back in the program. Dan, I know you got to spend more time with him during that availability than I did, but it sounds like, you know, he—he although he's just a GA in title, he's going to be pretty hands on with the linebackers. I know, you know, that was the case with Coy McFarland, who he's replacing in that role. Obviously, with Jim Knowles being the linebacker coach for Ohio State, he's pulling a lot of strings as defensive coordinator. And, you know, it sounds like James Laurinaitis is going to have a a big role with these linebackers, which is, you know, certainly a good thing for Ohio State.
1: Yeah, it, it sounds like, you know, that's the kind of role he had last year at Notre Dame where, you know, Al Golden was was defense coordinator and linebackers coach. And, you know, he was very hands on in terms of coaching the linebackers there. And so, you know, I think. You know, really before he accepted the job at Ohio State, he wanted to make sure he would have the same kind of opportunity at Ohio State. And it sounds like he will. And so, you know, I think, you know, while there's obviously some restrictions on what he can do, I, I think that, you know, he in, in many ways, you know, might almost be the linebacker's coach. I mean, Jim Knowles is still gonna be very active in that, but I, I think with Jim Knowles being the defensive coordinator, you know, there's probably gonna be a lot of times at practice where Jim Knowles is overseeing the entire defense. And he's really trusting Laurinaitis to to be the guy who's really working one-on-one with the linebackers. And so, you know, I I think he's going to have a very active role on the field. As I said last week, I think he's going to have a very active role in recruiting as well. It sounds like he's already been in touch with a lot of, you know, linebacker targets for Ohio State. He he can't go out on the road recruiting because he's a GA, but he can make phone calls and, and texts and he can talk to recruits when they're visiting on campus. And he said that, you know, when he was at Notre Dame, you know, he was basically doing everything a linebackers coach would do in recruiting, except for going out on a road. He said, you know, he would even make, you know, recruiting presentations that he would, he would give. And so, you know, I I say all that to say one, I, I think, even though he's just a graduate assistant now, I think he's going to have a significant role with Ohio state this year. And I think if things go well, you certainly would get the idea that it's probably only a matter of time before James Laurinaitis eventually becomes a full-time coach at Ohio State. I mean, obviously, things have to go well first. Like you have to see how he actually does in this role first. But I, I certainly think that you know there's an idea on all sides here that he's somebody who, you know, again. I don't only really want to make the Brian Hartline comparison because Brian Hartline's done is unbelievable. But I, I do think there's a lot of people from a program who see that blueprint of, Hey, this is a guy who's a former player, had a lot of success at Ohio state and he can come in and he could quickly work his way up the ladder. And so what that will ultimately look like, you know, we don't know I mean, that, that could depend on whether the NCAA eventually you know, expands the number of countable coaches. It could depend on staff movement in future years, but I I certainly do think that, you know, he's not, you know, there's a lot of guys who are brought in as graduate assistants, like a Coy McFarland. There's a lot of guys who are are coming as a graduate assistant who they come in for one year and then they go get a full-time job somewhere else. And it's kind of a developmental opportunity for them. I, I certainly don't think that that's the vision here. I think the the, the vision here of James Laurinaitis would be that they're going to groom him to eventually take on a bigger role at Ohio State.
0: And of course, Jim Knowles is not necessarily known as this, you know, master high profile recruiter, you know, of talent. So, you know, having James Laurinaitis be the face of the linebacker group, is certainly a good thing for Ohio State. It was funny to hear him say that, you know, upon returning to the the whack that he could steer, still hear Luke Fickle yelling at him outside at the on the practice field and things like that. So, you know, it was good to talk to him. And Dan, you know, moving on here from a, a new addition to the staff to a guy that's been at Ohio State for quite some time, Larry Johnson, Dan's still around. Obviously, there's been speculation surrounding his retirement for the past couple of off seasons now. Obviously, a a longtime veteran in the game, to be sure. But then he was asked about his retirement, you know, just speculation about retirement and timeline and things like that um, during that interview session. And he was kind of, you know, scoffing at the notion in general and joking around about, you know, does Nick Saban get all these questions about retirement? And he was saying, you know, until you see an empty chair here, you know, I'm still here, I'm still standing. So it sounds like, you know, Larry Johnson, retirement is not necessarily on his mind in terms of the outward messaging he's presenting to the media and things like that.
1: Yeah. And he's been pretty consistent with that message whenever it's come up the last few years that, you know, he's going to keep coaching as long as he wants to keep coaching. Those rumors have continued to persist Never nevertheless, and they probably will continue to persist. But, you know, he, you know, certainly has, you know, given, you know, the all public indications that, you know, he wants to keep going, That he's not, he hasn't set any timeline for when he's going to retire. He, He loves what he's doing and he wants to keep doing it, you know, when, you know, not that he needs to tell us when he's going to retire, you know, if he, when he gets to a point that he decides, you know, Hey, I I'm ready to retire, then he'll get there and he'll make that decision. And, and that's that, but it's certainly, you know, certainly at least what he said publicly, it doesn't sound like that's something that he was ever seriously considering this off season. Uh, Another comment from Larry Johnson or a couple comments that I thought was very interesting that you wrote about Griffin was, you know, when he was talking about Jack Sawyer, he, he mentioned that he, he wants Jack to be able to play one specific position this year, whether that's a traditional defensive end with his hands in the dirt or playing the Jack position. He wants Jack to be able to play one position rather than constantly bouncing back and forth. Certainly, I think if it's up to Larry Johnson, he would like Jack Sawyer to Play that traditional defensive end role, and the same is true for Caden Curry. When he was asked about if Caden Curry could potentially move to that Jack position, he said he doesn't want that. He said he, he said that Caden Curry is going to be you know on the two deep at defensive end to, to going into spring, which is what you know we would have expected. You With know, we learned confirmed this past week that Tyler Friday is going to be gone. In addition to Javante Jean Baptiste. And, and Zach Harrison. And so, you know, really the only two returning defensive ends who have seen significant playing time are JT Tuomoloa and and Jack Sawyer. And I think that's all the more reason for Ohio State to keep those guys at defensive end, though. I feel like there there might be some disconnect there between Larry Johnson and Jim Knowles based on their, their comments. I mean, when Jim Knowles was asked about the Jack, he implied that JT Tuomoloa could, could play at the Jack, which I don't even think that was on Larry Johnson's mind. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that ultimately plays out because, because Larry Johnson, he made the point that the Jack doesn't necessarily have to come from the defensive end room. I think we've kind of looked at it as this kind of hybrid defensive end position, but you know, it could also be a linebacker. I mean, that could be a way to get C.J. Hicks get on the field. I mean, heck, that could even be a way to get Sonny Styles a role. I mean, you may not think of it with him being a safety, but him being that guy who has kind of that bigger body frame for a safety, I feel like there's a a world in where even he could play kind of that jack role for Ohio State. And so, you know, there's a lot of different things that Ohio State could do with that position. And it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves or or if it evolves because you know i don't i don't think the jack ever became what we thought it might become last year and so you know they could also just you know eschew that and just stick with more traditional four-man fronts but if they are going to continue with it then i think it's a valid conversation of whether it's really best for someone like jack sawyer to be playing that role or whether he might thrive more if he can just play as a straight up defensive end.
0: Yeah, it sounded like there's are still some important conversations that have to happen. You know, Larry Johnson kept saying we haven't necessarily sat down and and, you know, sorted all of that out as of yet. But I mean, I certainly think what what I gleaned from all of that was You know, Larry Johnson would prefer to have the guys that he, you know, recruited into the program to play defensive end. He wants to develop them, you know, as traditional defensive ends. He would he would prefer to do that. And I think, yeah, I think the conversation could could be different if you know the the Jack position had become this hugely impactful position last year in Jim Knowles' first year, but we really didn't see that kind of happen. So I think you know, Larry Johnson wants to to have his guys refine their skills at the position that they came into the program to play. You know, I don't know if Jim Knowles, Jim Knowles has has, you know, operated defenses where the Jack was a more productive position. And he knows what the trajectory maybe could be for that position. But I just don't think they, they've they necessarily found, I don't know if it's the right guy or just the the amount of time necessary to become that guy. He was still kind of talking about, uh, Knowles was the concept of the, the Leo position versus the Jack, meaning that, you know, the Leo is a guy that can do everything without, you know, and that they don't necessarily have a guy that's evolved from the quote unquote, Jack to the Leo as of yet, Dan. But, you know, certainly some other interesting things that Jim Knowles said that were were less Jack related. He was talking about Dan, something that really caught my, my ear from listening to some of what he had to say was that in year two, he's really going to bear down on the players in terms of tightening up technique, you know, implementing more schematic stuff, things like that. He said, you know, kind of in the first year, you have to come in and, and establish all of those relationships with the guys, right? And And, you know, really, you know, make those connections with the new team. And then now kind of seeing how things went last year, especially at the tail end of last year, he's really going to, you know, maybe be more of the more of the bad cop, so to speak, in terms of, you know, making sure that guys have these these fundamentals drilled down. He also said that whether they installed two thirds of what he wanted to install, you know, schematically for Ohio State last year, that's been a big talking point like there. What have we not seen from this defense yet that we still could see? Once Knowles has more time in the system, and I also thought it was interesting, Dan, that you know when when Ryan Day was asked about the the defensive standard coming off of last year, and in particular the big plays that were given up in some of those big games, you know all the points that were scored against Ohio State, I thought Day was was very direct in saying like, yeah, we we're, we cannot tolerate that many big plays being given up, and you know the question was kind of about Jim Knowles' philosophy about giving up big plays in the first place, which was a big talking point all year long. And Ryan Day's answer to me, Dan, suggested that yeah, that philosophy is going to have to be you know amended because we we can't have you know this mindset that we're going to give up a certain amount of big plays in a game coming into one.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's what cost them the season last year. So certainly, I think that's something that has to be and a massive point of emphasis for Jim Knowles this off season is how do we cut down. On, on giving those big plays. Cause that, I mean, if you're, if you're looking to pinpoint one thing that cost Ohio state last season, it was the fact that they, they gave up big plays on defense in their two biggest games of the year. So certainly that's going to be a big point of emphasis this off season. I, I know that, you know, I, I did see some of the responses to that, you know, Jim Knowles comment about really bearing down in year two. And I, I, I think some people took that as they kind of felt like he was using that as a cop out for year one. Like he can do more in in year two than he did in year one. I I, I don't think that's really what he meant. I mean, I, he he you know he has repeatedly said that it, it falls back on him when the defense doesn't perform well. I, I I think that he does fully recognize that the defensive performance at the end of the year wasn't good enough. But I do think that he feels that okay, now that all these guys, you know, at this time last year. Jim Knowles was really focused on teaching guys a brand new defense. You know, I mean, he, he, he was going into basically other than Tanner McAllister, a a blank slate with all these guys. He's never coached before teaching them a brand new scheme. And so I think at this point last year, he was starting from square one with those guys. Now he's not starting at square one anymore. So I think he feels like, okay, now that these guys know the scheme, you know, other than, you know, the incoming freshmen and whatnot, The guys who are returning, okay, now that they know the scheme, they've been in the scheme for a year, you know, will they still go back to basics and go over those things? Yeah, they will, because that's, you know, part of, you know, what you do as a coach going through the off season, but they're not starting from square one with those guys anymore. And so I think that he feels that, you know, now that those guys have that base understanding under their belt, they've played in the system for a year, you know, particularly the guys like, you know, returning starters and guys who played a lot last year that, you know, now, you know, they can kind of take it to the next level in terms of, okay, you know, it's not just learning the defense this spring. It's about really mastering the defense and consistently doing their job the right way. And so the way that he evaluates how players perform in the scheme this spring Maybe a little different than it was last spring when they were all just still learning this new system.
0: Dan, I got to talk to Keenan Bailey, the new tight ends coach, a little bit. I know you had previously talked to him at the at Peach Bowl Media Day and had written a, a couple pieces about his story and his you know climb to this position at Ohio State. Obviously, well deserved after you know several years coaching on on different parts of you know the the uh, the uh, the Ohio State program and learning under a lot of guys. Definitely well positioned to you know, take on this new role in place of Kevin Wilson. He said that he couldn't have asked for a, a better leader of the tight end room than Cade Stover really raved about him. Also, Dan said that, you know, with with Mitch Rossi leaving the program and whatnot, that there are players that could potentially step into that kind of fullback role that Mitch Rossi did play so well for Ohio State the past couple seasons. You know, perhaps we could see more of a, you know, a, a tight end wide receiver hybrid this year as well with guys like. G Scott and Joe Royer obviously possessing that that wide out, you know, pass catching talent and uh, you know, it was just interesting hearing Bailey talk about the the lessons he learned from Kevin Wilson and you know how he, you know, he obviously had opportunities to leave Ohio State in in recent years but he said he really went in went all in on relationships and building those relationships rather than just, you know, zigzagging around and hopping from one opportunity to the next. So those were some of my takeaways from listening to that in.
1: Yeah, the fullback question was one that I asked him because I, I know I've gotten that question from a lot of fans about who's gonna play that fullback role. I think there was even some, you know, commentary in our, our forums over the past week about whether Reed Carrico could play that fullback role. Not not sure if that's something that they will consider at all, but Keenan Bailey did say that, you know, he does think there are players in the room who can play that role. He didn't specify who, but you know, also said that Ohio State you know, will cater its offense around its talent. And so I don't necessarily think that we're going to see as much of the fullback this year as we saw off Rossi. I think that was probably more something they did because they felt it was good for Rossi's skill set. I still think we'll see plenty of two tight end sets in Ohio State's offense this year, but I think those could look different just based on the talent. And, you know, Keenan even did say that, you know, one thing you see a lot in the NFL now is a lot of the tight end slash wide receiver hybrids. And so you'd think with guys like G Scott and Joe Royer, that might be a better fit for their skill set. And so mm, I would think that we'll see, you know, those two tight end sets might look a little different this year, but it will be interesting to see if somebody can emerge as a, a guy who can play that fullback role. Cause I don't know if there's an obvious candidate to do that right now, but but Keenan did say that he thinks they have guys who who can play it.
0: And also noteworthy was we got to sit down with Mark Pantoni, which obviously doesn't happen all that often. I know Garrick spent a lot of time talking with him. Obviously, with with all the NIL stuff, it, it's a good time to talk to you know Ohio State's recruiting guru and everything like that. But one of the comments that really raised eyebrows, Dan, from what he had to say was that you know Ohio State might have to pull out of some you know big national recruiting some, you know, big national guys, if they're focused primarily on NIL, which I know, you know, if, if you're an Ohio State fan that that's thinking like, man, Ohio State really needs to catch up on the times with NIL and start throwing some money around though, that comment probably didn't rub you the right way. But Dan, I still think that, you know, Ohio State has to think of it um, at, at a certain, you know, to a certain extent of that, you know, you have to build the program in terms of culture and development and things like that. First and foremost, and it not just be a, a complete NIL bidding war on the recruiting trail.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's pretty clear. It's, it's been pretty clear all along that, you know, Ohio State doesn't Ohio State does not want its recruiting to turn into NIL bidding wars. That's just it's just not where Ohio State wants to go. If it Ohio State wants to recruit players who want to play at Ohio State because they want to compete for championships, and they want to be developed to be NFL players. That's that's the selling point for Ohio State, and it's going to continue to be the selling point. They're, they're, they're going to continue to sell players on competing for championships and developing them to play in the NFL. And, and they think that recruiting players who are more interested in those things than NIL are what ultimately is going to allow Ohio State to keep the culture that it's had and to you know be successful as a program and that's certainly the message that they're trying to put out there publicly even if it's not what everybody wants to hear it's it certainly i think it's what they want recruits and their families to hear that that you know we 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 just don't want players if basically they're saying that if a, if a player is you know, solely focused on NIL in their recruitment, that Ohio State's probably going to back off of that recruitment and they're probably going to look at, at other recruits. And, and, and you know, Mark Beantoni did say that, you know, they, they might recruit more heavily regionally than they have in the past just because, you know, I think, you know, you, you, there's probably a more of a, a genuine feel of guys who truly want to be Buckeyes when you're talking about in-state guys or nearby guys versus guys from all over the country who, you know, you know, maybe don't have as natural of ties to Ohio state. Now with, with that being said, I, I think there's a couple things that are important, you know, to clarify. I mean, for one, you know, I, Ohio state is still going to recruit the top players in the country. I mean, I, you know, Ohio state's not going to suddenly start, just recruiting Ohioans. I mean, they, they might recruit a few more Ohioans. And I think, you know, we've talked about it before. Like, I think that might be a good thing because, you know, I think just those guys having that understanding of, you know, the rivalry, having that, you know, true love of being Buckeyes. I think having a few more of those guys in your program, I think there's benefits to that of, of maybe having a little bit more of a regional base, within the roster when they have gone so national. But, you know, I still think Ohio state is going to certainly pursue the best players from all over the nation. I I, I think that, you know, it would be misinterpreting to take Pantone's comments in, in a different way that they're not going to recruit nationally anymore. I think that certainly Ohio state is going to continue to pursue top players from all over the country. They're just going to be, even more focused than they've been before on trying to identify cultural fits early and there and there may be guys out there that they're a five-star guy that Ohio State isn't recruiting as hard as people think they should and the reason for that might be because they think that guy is just looking for whoever's going to give him the biggest bag and that's not something that Ohio State wants to really get involved in because Ohio State wants to prioritize NIL opportunities for its current players over NIL opportunities for recruits. And, you know, Mark Bantoni did mention that he thinks NIL has been a really good thing for current players and for roster retention. And we've seen, you know, only five players have transferred out of Ohio State this year. And so NIL, certainly behind the scenes, has played a role in keeping players at Ohio State, you know, that, that maybe would have had opportunities to 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 go elsewhere and and for nil money, I think certainly behind the scenes, nil has been utilized by Ohio State to keep players at Ohio State. I think it's it's been utilized in bringing in transfers too. I mean, certainly, I think you know the guys that they've brought in as transfers, I think they've certainly been sold on you know the nil opportunities they could have at Ohio State and. You know, we did hear Ryan Day say on last Wednesday that, you know, he he feels confident about the direction that Ohio State is going in, in NIL in terms of, you know, the things that they're working on behind the scenes. And, you know, I do think that Ohio State is working hard on, you know, upping its game on the NIL front. And so, you know, while I think people read those comments, and think, you know, why isn't Ohio State doing anything on the NIL front? Why, why, why is Ohio State allowing you know itself to fall behind? You know, I I think it's fair to it's fair to interpret Pantone's comments that way, but I don't think that's. I I think the messaging, of, I think the messaging that that Ohio State's putting out there about not wanting to get involved in NIL on the recruiting front. May be overstated. I, I think that you know, and NIL is still a factor in recruiting for Ohio State. It doesn't. It doesn't want to be as aggressive on the NIL front as maybe a Miami or you know some of these other programs. Like you know, they certainly don't think they're going to get involved in offering a you know thirteen million dollar deal to a quarterback like Florida did with Jaden Rashada that ultimately fell apart. But I I do think work is being done, certainly behind the scenes for Ohio State, to be more active in the NIL space, both in terms of retaining current players as well as recruiting future players.
0: Yeah, Dan, I think that was probably the the most kind of confident or, or sure that I've heard Ryan Day be in a press conference about NIL and having a plan in place and, and the confidence and everything like that. So that, you know, for those worried about Ohio State's NIL initiatives and things like that, that is certainly, I think, a step in the right direction to hear Ryan Day say some of those things. Dan, in terms of other other news, you know, you already mentioned the that the Tyler Friday won't be back. That was one of the lingering roster questions we had going into that interview session. We also learned that Paulie Naoteote will be moving on from Ohio State as well. So Dan, that leaves, if the numbers are correct here, 89 players on scholarship at the moment. So obviously that's going to have to wind down a little bit, but you know, not necessarily any reason to be worried about that at the moment for Ohio State.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you know, by the time they get through the spring transfer window, it's more likely Ohio State will be under 85 than over 85. I mean, I just think that you know, realistically, you have to expect that, you know, at, at least five players, I, you know, I'm not pointing to specific names, just in general, we saw it last year, that I mean, there's going to be players who see the writing on the wall after spring practice and say, I'm not going to play much if I stay here this year. And so I'm going to enter the transfer portal. And so I think that'll all work itself out. I mean, I think this is a conversation we have every single year and it always works itself out. So I don't think you know there's any, I don't think that's going to be any issue in terms of getting below 85 before the season. I think, you know, I think they're probably pretty happy if the numbers right now to be at 89, to be a little bit above it and you know still i think could get to where there could still be a flexibility for them to add another transfer to in in may if they decide that's something that's warranted which certainly you know offensive tackle would be the most obvious position where ohio state might target another transfer addition but you know you never know what else might emerge over the course of spring practices as well which are now less than 1 month away March March seven, the first day of spring football practice at Ohio State. So we're getting close, Griffin. We gotta. We'll have a the rest of this month of February. We'll uh, kind of continue looking ahead to spring football here on the show. We'll you know see if basketball gives us anything more positive to talk about, or if things are going the way they're going there. But it's not going to be long before we're back at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, watching spring practice and providing updates from there.
0: Yeah, the Buckeye basketball team is certainly not doing a lot to, to, you know, take away from any of those off-season, you know, non-football season blues right now for Ohio State fans. We're probably getting antsy for the spring season to start, but I know we'll be, you know, combing through some of the stuff from the coaches last week to, to provide, provide you guys with some more updates. And the spring schedule starts pretty soon here, Dan. So be locked in for that, everybody, and we will keep you updated with everything that we learn from here until that point.
1: Thanks, everybody, for listening in. We'll talk to you again next week.